Hey, how about uh, taking your Bible with me and... Last week, we went to the New Testament, John chapter 4, for a look at Jesus' conversation with the woman. We're going back to Nehemiah this morning, the study we've been in since Easter. We're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 5. And thus far, we've been looking at about how Nehemiah has been used by God to restore the broken and the burned in Jerusalem, those who were distressed because the walls were broken down and the gates were burned. And he went back a thousand miles from where he was living to lead the rebuilding of the wall, to to deal with the rubble like the rubble we have in our world. But what's unique about chapter five now that we're going to start this morning is this. Chapter five is not dealing with the enemies of Israel who are attacking them and who are distressing them. Chapter five addresses a problem that is within the people of Israel. As you turn there, we're going to look at this. What Nehemiah basically says is something has to change. And how many of you have said that in your life? Something has to change, right? Uh, or you've said it this way. We can't, I can't keep living like this. Maybe there was something in your life that you're like, man, this has got to change. Big or small. Or something in your life that you're like, I can't keep living like this. In other words, this cannot continue to be absent in my life. Now, here's why I think this chapter this morning and why I'm really glad you're here is so helpful. Something has to change, and watch, it does. Because lots of times we've said something's got to change in our lives, but it doesn't, at least not for longer than two or three weeks. So this is going to be so helpful for learning how does lasting change happen in our lives. Uh, That's what Nehemiah 5, first 13 verses or so is going to reveal to us. So let's first look at what has to change. What's the problem that Nehemiah confronts in Nehemiah chapter 5? Follow along. Uh, If you don't have a copy of the scriptures up here on the screen. Now there was a great outcry of the people and of the wives against their Jewish brothers. See, this is internal. The outcry is internal. It's not about Sambal, it's not about Tobiah. It's against one another. And here's the outcry. For there were those who said, we're going to hear three things who said. First, we, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. That's not what most of us know anything about. We eat for enjoyment. They needed food to to live. So they were starving. There were others who said, we're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses that we might get grain because of the famine. In other words, we're starving, and the only way we can survive is by mortgaging anything we have just to live. And then it gets worse. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax 
on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is like the flesh of our brothers, our children like their children. Yet behold, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. See, we're in a territory that uh, really I don't know that any of us can actually imagine. Selling some of our daughters are forced into bondage already. And we are helpless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. You see the problem? There's just this poor, poor that couldn't survive, barely. Poor who were like, the only way we're surviving is mortgaging everything we could possibly own in order to eat. And then third, those who said, we've already done that and we still are under a pile. We're actually selling our kids in order to survive. And they're doing it among themselves. See, this is not the foreign nations that are doing this. They're doing it to one another. Nehemiah's reaction. You have your Bible open there? Nehemiah's reaction. What's he say? Verse 6. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. I consulted with myself. <laughs> That's kind of a funny expression. You ever consulted with yourself? Sure. Anytime you're talking to yourself and you're replaying what I would have said and I should have said, uh, you're consulting with yourself. I consulted with myself and contended with the nobles and the rulers. Why them? The, the rich, those who were actually doing what they were doing to the, to the poor. And said to them, you are exacting usury. How many of you have used that word usury in the last week? That's what I thought. Oh, usury, what's usury? That's what I thought you'd think. Usury is exorbitant interest. And maybe you've heard there's usury laws. Usury laws are simply laws against what you and I would think of as loan sharks. Those who are taking advantage of the poor by charging them high, high, high amounts of interest. Which does what? It just makes it worse. It doesn't get the poor out from under the pile. It puts them, this is why the first were like, man, we're barely living. And the others were, we're only living by mortgaging. We're only living by selling our kids. The, the pile was getting worse. And he's going, you are exacting usury. You are doing this, each from his brother. Therefore, I held a great assembly against them. What's he saying in the language he started with? Something's got to change. We can't keep living like this. So this was, this was a big deal. In simple terms, the practice that needed to change in Jerusalem was this. The people of God were violating God's law by charging interest. Now, you may go, I thought it was exorbitant interest. I'll show you in a moment why I am saying interest of any kind. 
whether low or high, they were charging interest on loans to their poor countrymen, their, their brothers and sisters, their fellow Israelites. Now, why is that a problem? Uh, because Exodus, the law by which God gave Israel through Moses, said, if you lend money to my people, to the poor among you, you are not to act as a creditor to him. You shall not charge him interest of any kind. See, this is not a business dealing. The Jews were allowed to loan money to foreigners and charge interest. And they were allowed to loan money to fellow countrymen, but not charge interest. They were to do it in a manner that would help them get out from under the poverty, not then put them under a greater pile of poverty. You tracking with me? So he confronts and says, in the language of, uh, or, or the visual of what we do here at the chapel, he's saying, you guys aren't here. You're here. If you don't know what I mean, well, here at the chapel, we talk about living here under the authority of God's word. God's word says this, and whether it makes sense or not, we live here, not here. Sometimes we like to take the Bible and go, well, let me see what the Bible says, and then I'll decide whether I think it makes sense or if that's a good idea or not. And, and, and they, were, they may have thought, well, we don't want to be exorbitant in our interest, but we can charge interest. You see what I'm saying? How, uh, not that any of us would ever do this, but they were negotiating with the word of God. Not here, here. And Nehemiah confronts it. And what we're going to look at next is how change happens. Because let me tell you the end of the story. They stop. Which is awesome. They go from abusing and taking advantage of and profiting the poor, from the poor to actually really helping the poor. And what was so encouraging to me is change can happen in my life. Change can happen in your life. Because all of us have uh, places where we're not here, right? I mean, you're willing to admit that where you're not living under the word of God. It might be what's called a, a sin of commission. In other words, something you're doing is in violation to God's word. Whether it's stealing or lying or fudging the truth, cheating on your taxes, not being completely forthright with your employer, or cheating on your spouse. Or gossip or greed. So, something that you're doing that's not here. My wife would say, Doug, for you, it's uh, your attitude towards other drivers on the road. Amen. <laughs> she doesn't need any help with the amens in the back. <laughs> so sometimes it's sins of commission, maybe you've never heard this, or sins of omission, in other words, things that we should be doing but we're not doing, like serving. We're all intended to serve, and if we don't serve, that's a sin of omission, or giving, or sharing. Sometimes it's easier to stop the wrong than it is to start the right. 
You see what I'm saying? And maybe you've thought on a number of occasions, I know, I know this needs to change. Or you thought a sin of commission, that needs to change. But it never really has. And sometimes, because we attempt to change, but then we don't change, and we try to change, but we don't change, then we just stop trying. So how is it that change took place for them? Because I think it will help us with the steps to change in our own lives. First, here's what happened. What we read at verse 7. I consulted with myself and contended with the nobles and the, and the rulers and said to them, you are exacting usually each from his brother. I held a great assembly against them. In other words, for change to take place, it will often take people of conviction and courage to speak into our lives. That's what Nehemiah was. Nehemiah said to them, I know you're doing it, and it needs to stop. When it says he consulted with himself, uh, here's the conversation. I, th- I think it was a good thing. He, he went through, and we should do this if we're going to be people of courage that speak into other people's lives. First of all, is this a biblical issue or is this just a personal preference? This was a biblical issue. All right, so how do I then, so I need to speak again. I need to speak to it. So how do I speak to it with truth and love? And can I speak to it with integrity? Or am I calling the kettle? You see what I'm saying? And am I speaking to the right people? Because oftentimes we see something wrong and we want to confront it, but we don't want to speak to the right people. We just speak to the other people who already agree with us. We don't speak to the right people. Nehemiah does all four. This is a biblical issue that I need to speak to directly, but with love. And I need to make sure that I'm not doing what they're doing so that they can simply go, well, you're doing the same thing. And he speaks to the rulers and the nobles, those who had the money that were doing what was happening. We need people to speak with courage and conviction into our life because this, he said to them, we, according to our ability, have redeemed our Jewish brothers who were sold to the nations. Now, would you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us? He's saying, When the Babylonians came in and overthrew Jerusalem, they took people captive. And they've been trying to redeem those people back from captivity, out of slavery. And what's happening? You're doing to them exactly what we're trying to undo that our enemies did to us. Then they were silent and could not find a word to say. I think that's really, really important. I'll I'll speak to it again in a moment. But when he speaks up, they don't don't defend themselves. Why not? Because they know they are, they know they're wrong. If they knew they were wrong, why were they doing it? Well, 
All you have to do is, all I have to do is ask myself, why do I do the stuff that I know is wrong? As it be, if you never ask yourself that question, you should ask yourself that question. If I know things need to change, why aren't they? And sometimes it's for this reason. I have to admit my capacity become blind to or complacent with sin in my life. I think once he holds up the mirror to them about what they were doing, and when he says, do you see you're doing the very thing that our enemies did to us? When he, when he holds up the word of God to them, they're like, wow, we stand guilty as charged. But it's easy it's easy to become blind to or even comfortable with sin in our life because it's just happening all around us. I said to you, my wife said about my driving because, um, well, it all started well, it didn't all start. It took a next step about a month ago. We're on San Jose. And there's a, there's a traffic jam because of an accident. And I'm stuck. And I'm not very happy. We're just sitting there, sitting there. And I look in my rear view mirror. And the left lane closed, so everybody's lined up in the right lane. But way back, a guy in the right lane jumps into the left lane and runs the whole way up to just cut in line. What do you think when that happens? <laughs> Say, I'm looking for help here. No, no. What I think on that is, oh, no, I'm not letting him in. So I'm like just hugging the bumper. And Jackie was like, really, Doug? Uh, you think you're, you are being Jesus to him? <laughs> yeah, I think probably Jesus would stand for righteousness here. This is our discussion. <laughs> uh, you're being so rude. I said, he doesn't know I'm being rude. I, I, it's, in case you wonder, I'm not like flipping him off. I'm not, there's not road rage. I'm just hugging the bumper. So it comes up Friday night on our date night. This comes back. And she goes, because I've continued to contend. I've not sinned against them. They have no idea what I'm saying inside my car. <laughs> See, uh, they were silent. I was not. You remember the verse? They, uh, so she says on our date, so um, <clears throat> do you think that's the attitude of Jesus? In the car? How can I say yes to that? And it was, a, it was an honest moment to go, all right, got me. No, and not a got me, a, uh, I've become comfortable with as long as they don't know that I'm not rude to them, I become comfortable within the privacy of a bad attitude. So this is my, my simple point. And it came up on our date night because she came to Thursday night. This is what stinks about being the preacher. <clears throat> Let's talk about Thursday sermon in your life. So... It was a moment to go, I've become okay with something that isn't okay. That's why we need people to speak into our lives.
I think it probably can happen to most of us. So, they are finally, they are what I was second time, not the first time, they're silent. And he continues on. The thing which you're doing is not good. And I'm sure they're thinking, I got it, I got it. We understand. We didn't protest. Should you not walk, now watch what he does. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? And likewise, I, my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Please let us leave off this, what's our word? Interest, right. That's, we're doing it, let's just leave off the interest. Please give back to them this very day their fields. The stuff that you've put them under the pile by the interest, give it back. Their fields, their vineyards and olive groves and their houses. Also the hundredth part of the money and out of the grain. The new wine and the oil that you are exacting from them. That stuff that you've been taking as interest, give it back. And then they said, we will give it back. And we'll require nothing from them. In other words, we'll not only undo what we have done, we'll change our actions going forward. We will do exactly as you say. This is a pretty rare moment, isn't it? I mean, how often do we confront somebody and they go, you're right, not good, we'll stop. So I called the priest and took an oath from them that they would do according to this promise. Sign here. So what happens? He speaks. He reveals a blindness, a complacency. And then they change because they embrace three things. They embrace New thoughts, and we'll go back and uh, and I'll highlight what the new thoughts they embrace. They embrace new thoughts that bring a new accountability. Did you see that? New thoughts led to a new accountability resulting in new practices. Now, if you're, you're tracking with me, this is the pathway to change. Recognizing there's a place for people of courage and conviction to speak into my life because of my capacity to be blind or complacent. And then when they speak, for true change to take place, I'm going to have to embrace first some new thoughts, a new accountability, and new practices. Take those away, and change probably isn't going to last. New thoughts, new accountability, new practices. So again, I don't know what what you're thinking about this morning of something's got to change. And I don't mean, you know, your job or the weather. I mean like real stuff, like something's got to change about I I need to stop doing this, or I need to start doing this, what the Scripture says. New thoughts, new accountability, new practices. What were the new thoughts? Should you not walk in the fear of our God? 
because of the reproach of the nations. The new thoughts are simply this. Your actions represent a lack of fear of the Lord. As New Testament believers in Jesus, is fear of the Lord a good thing? Yes, in case you've wondered, the fear of the Lord remains the beginning of wisdom. Which, and we'll unpack this in a few weeks. But if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, then the absence of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of foolishness. And any time that I live not here, but here, for the guy who continues to live in immorality, for the couple that lives together, there's a lack of fear of the Lord. For the one who steals and just continues to steal or to cheat, there's a lack of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord brings wisdom. He's going, very simply, he's going, look at what you're doing to your poor brothers and sisters. Look at how you are not helping them but abusing them. Do you not fear God? Like, do you not recognize you'll give an account for this? Do you not recognize God sees? And let's not be slow to acknowledge the Lord disciplines those he loves. And it's a legitimate motivation to change, to recognize, I don't want to experience the discipline of the Lord. It's true, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus but when I continue to live in sin, it reflects a lack of fear of the Lord. That's what he's saying to him. You need a new thought. You're going to give an account for how you're handling the poor, how you're profiting from them instead of helping them. And you need to look at what it says to the nations about the people of God. What it says about the testimony that, yeah, you call yourself a Christian, but <laughs> that which comes out of your mouth or that which doesn't come out of your mouth or that which people see in your life, it doesn't add up. That's the reproach. New thoughts for them to think, not just dollars. Uh, see, it's easy. I, I, can I can connect to this. It's easy to get trapped into because everybody else is just doing what make sense in terms of make money, make as much as you can. To go, oh, in that process, is there a fear of the Lord and a thought about your testimony? New thoughts that led to, therefore, a, a new accountability. When he says, I called the priest and took an oath from, oath from them that they would do according to this promise. In other words, it's so easy, maybe even right now, for, for us to be thinking, I need to, I need to change. But while it's risky to tell somebody else, here is how the Lord spoke to me of how I need to change. Because as soon as I speak it publicly, as soon as I put it out there for somebody else to hear, now there's some accountability. 
and I know my own heart well enough, I think you would identify this, that when I think I need to change but I'm not really willing to speak it, it's because I don't want the accountability. And Nehemiah says, let's come to the priest. So I don't just tell anybody. If the Lord is speaking to your heart this morning of a change that needs to take place, don't keep it to yourself. And don't just tell anybody. Pick someone who is spiritually mature and say, I'm a little, and it's no, it's no problem going, I'm a little nervous about speaking this. Because I've tried to change in this area a lot, and it's never changed. But I need help. There's verbalizing it to someone. I, mean, I can see all the arguments happening in the head right now. I don't know about that one. <laughs> Nehemiah knew. This is gonna, if this change is going to take place, there needs to be an accountability. And then so helpful, new practices, we will give it back. And we will require nothing from them. Which, which presumes that they're going to, watch, they're still going to give, they're still going to lend to help the poor because that's how you help them. So they're going to give back what they have taken. They're going to continue to lend. But they're not going to require interest any longer. There are new specific practices that go with, okay, we'll stop. If whatever change needs to take place, there needs to be some, some new practices. So since Friday, I've said, all right, if indeed I go, I am not living under the word of God in terms of my attitude, regardless of what other people know, between me and my, my God, he knows my attitude stinks. What will be new practices? I'm going to walk to work. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> hey, that would, that, that, would be, <laughs> that would be an idea. Not a great one, but it would be an idea. Here is my thought. And I know my wife's watching. When someone slows me down, because that's just the issue, it's slowing me down, it's being stupid, slowing me down. Thank you, Lord, for slowing me down. And who would I pray for as I wait? Now, maybe that sounds cheesy to you. If you got better ideas for me, Email my wife. I'm sure she'll share them with me. <laughs> no. Uh, that's, as I've thought through, those are my practices. Give thanks for the core. And then how do I redeem that? So maybe that's silly, but maybe it's a... See, by verbalizing, 
I will know. This doesn't ensure I'll do it, but I'll know what I should be doing the next time I'm sitting. Thank you, Lord. And who do I pray for? Or who do I call? Because I have more minutes. Encourage or speak to. Maximize the time. I can want to change, but not change. Right? You admit that? Can you want to change, but not change? I can. I can want to change, but not change. Here's three things that will keep me from changing if I want to change, even though I want to change. Uh, I won't change if I try to defend myself when I have no defense. This is, this is why I didn't change since the first time Jackie and I had this conversation. Because I, I had a defense. Ah, they never know. So I didn't feel like I had to change. So, if I'm going to change, I have to recognize... And humbly admit, I'm wrong. I'm not going to excuse it. Because the more I thought about it, I realized, uh, do I think the guy's right jumping out and running up? No, I don't think he's right. But does his wrong make mine right? Ah, no, it doesn't. So, no no defense. Second, uh, I lump the acceptable in with the unacceptable. This might sound strange, but let me unpack this. I, I often don't change or don't have lasting change, even though I want to, because I end up making it too big, bigger than actually it really is. In other words, watch. They could have said, well, if we're not, if we're not going to lend with interest, then we're not going to lend at all. But actually, do you see what that does? That doesn't solve anything. It just changes the unrighteousness from abusing the poor to abandoning the poor. Here's the way I saw that growing up. And some of this will sound so strange to you, but this was the world, conservative Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. I grew up with, with this teaching. In order that you avoid the unrighteousness of drunkenness, it's wrong to ever drink anything. You lump the acceptable in with the unacceptable. This might sound funny to you, but in order to avoid sexual immorality, you don't dance. Some of you are like, no, I, I remember that one. This, one's, this was weird. In order to avoid gambling, you don't, play, you don't play any cards unless they have different look to them because then they're not gambling cards. You know, there, were, there were two guard, card games acceptable where I grew up, but those were not really card games because they, they were different than cards you would have played poker and gambled with. What happens there? By lumping acceptable things in with the unacceptable, one of two things happens. The new commitment doesn't last because we do not help 
a commitment to the word of God by making things that aren't the word of God, the word of God. Did you track that? We actually undermine the word of God when we make things that aren't the word of God, the word of God. So don't make it more than what it is. But maybe most is this. We exchange simply a one type of unrighteousness with a new type of unrighteousness called self-righteousness. Because look how holy I am by all the acceptable things that I don't do. So I appreciate that Nehemiah says, and likewise I, my brothers and my servants, are lending them money and grain. Please let us leave off this interest. We're not saying get rid of the loans. We're saying help them. Don't put them under the pile more by interest. Don't throw out what we proverbially say, the baby with the bathwater. It doesn't achieve righteousness. And it actually undermines long-term change. It's, can I make it a, a physical example? It's like the person who needs to cut out dessert, but then they cut out like everything on a, and they go from, I, I need to cut out dessert to a liquid diet. And they lose all sorts of weight for a little. It doesn't last. Now that's a, I, I don't, save your dieting emails to me. I don't really, it was just an example. If you don't like it, you don't have to use it. It's, it's how when we throw in the acceptable, it, it can, um, Undermine lasting change. And then third, I make new commitments, but no new practices. It's easy, it's easy to go, okay, I'm going to stop. Or, or maybe lots of you have said, I know I'm going to start. But it's just a resolve. There are no new practices that undergird those new resolves. So I shared with you a little bit of, of my, my thoughts regarding what needs to change in my life. So ask yourself, what would be the practices? Is there something I would stop doing or a place I'd stop going or or some new habits that I would develop that would undergird the change that needs to take place. If we don't think in those regards, it won't last. And what I love about this passage is change took place and everybody won. Those who were living in disobedience without a fear of the Lord were now living in obedience and fear of the Lord and blessing the Lord. And those who were putting under, being put under the pile in their poverty were now being helped. See, one of the things I hope will really a new thought that will change, bring about change in us is this. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. 
I think that's a, a fundamental change that needs to take place. That when I look at the scriptures, what it's calling me to stop or what it's calling me to start are not burdens. They are the, the love of God. And sometimes change doesn't take place because we think, oh man, God, you're robbing me. You're robbing me of life or you're making me do stuff that's going to make me hate life. My own personal experiences, most change came, came in my life from this core conviction here. God is not against me. God is for me. His commands are not robbing me. They love me. His commands are loving words to me. So I'm going to invite the, the guys to come forward with the elements of the Lord's Supper. They are the, the symbol that Jesus gave to us to remind us of the love of God. And I want to take us, give us some quiet moments. Thanks, Mike. Some quiet moments to respond to how the Lord may be speaking to us regarding what needs to change. And these moments aren't simply resolve. It's where it starts. But as you wait or as you have received them, I know they're passing, but don't be distracted by the passing. Let's take some moments to, to think about the Lord Jesus in the midst of our change. The elements that are being passed are an unleavened cracker reminding us that his body, his body was broken, even though he never sinned. He was broken on our behalf. And the cup is the reminder of his blood that he gave in order that our sin might be forgiven. I wanted us to remember Jesus in this time because here's our great hope. The one who lives within us as followers of Jesus by the Holy Spirit has lived in righteousness. Whatever needs to change in my life and your life, whether it's an attitude or an action, Jesus is the righteous one. He will help you if you will cry out to him. So don't, don't just think theoretically. Is there, is there a specific that you would say to the Lord right now? Or I know this needs to change. I know I need to stop. You fill in the blank. Or I know I need to start. You fill in the blank. Ask yourself then. Do I fear the Lord? 
recognize that I will give an account. Who would you speak to in terms of accountability? Who will you verbalize? This is what the Lord has spoken to me. And ask him, would you? What practices would need to begin to be a part if this change is going to take place? Ask him by his spirit to to bring ideas to mind. Maybe the greatest practice for all of us to begin is the practice of consistent current confession. Sin can, in some sense, pile up. We become complacent because we just live with it. And a new practice that you might commit to would be not just daily, but throughout your day when, when you know you're out from under the word of God that you would go, Lord, I confess that attitude was not like yours. Those words were not like yours. Those actions were not like yours. begin a a new practice of consistent, constant confession. Lord, thank you that these elements are a reminder that you have paid the penalty for our sin. These elements are the reminder that you have broken the power of sin in our lives. That we are no longer slaves to sin, but that our bodies have become yours and through which you would live your life. Would you present yourself in this moment to the Lord, your body, your mind, your mouth, your hands, present them to the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that as we take, it is a reminder that you have poured your spirit into us, that we would have all that we need for life and for godliness. Let's take now in remembrance of our Savior, our forgiver, and our leader. Thank you, Jesus, Lord.
Seeing you again. Have a blessed afternoon.